This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hold on, Lex. I'm picking up something. Does that asteroid look unusual to you? I got the alert. What's up? Initial reports are some kind of creature. If anyone's watching this, send help. This monster's killing everyone. Alert. Three leaguers down and we only just got here. Need backup now. This creature has not been identified and is rumored to have left members of the Justice League wounded or near death. There's one thing I can't stand. It's a bully. We need you, Clark. Don't hold back or he'll kill everyone. I don't know where you came from, but I'm sending you back. You can't go back after that thing. It's suicide. I have to get back to work. This city needs me. Hey, what's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Chipper. This is episode 161. My name is Tim, and joining me, as always, is Dane. Dane, how's it going? Hey, Tim. How's it going? Doing good. I mean, I don't know for... Depending how the next month and a half go, yeah, we might be bitter baseball rivals because <laughs> as it's looking right now, Oakland's going to face the Yankees in the wild card game. <laughs> and I don't want to be too extreme, but I think the fate of the podcast might be in the hands of whoever wins that series or that one game. <laughs> I mean, you would figure that the Yankees would have it, you know, figured out by now. You, know? you would think. Yeah. But I guess nope. not. <laughs> It's yeah, I'm not gonna lie here. I think I even texted to you this earlier, but I'm a little scared of Oakland <laughs> facing them for one game. They just seem to have that special like mojo or whatever you want to call it thing going on for a team that just has such an unlikely great year that it's going to continue on, and they might have a pretty good postseason run as well. And you don't want to face those teams, especially in a one game playoff where anything can happen. So I'm not going to be even if the Yankees are playing real well. I mean, by the yeah. time we get to that wild card game, it's still going to be a nail biter, and just I'll be not fully confident that oh, shit, oh, this is such a given game. I mean, Oakland's had a good year, but they're no match for the Yankees. Anything can happen in there. So, yeah, it's going to be a crazy month and a half leading up to that. But I'm kind of hoping now it is Oakland and Yankees, just so we can have some fun. <laughs> we'll put it this way, Tim. I am just focused solely on this season. I'm not, I'm not worried about sure. the playoffs. I'm not worried about wild card. I'm not worried about World Series. I'm just focused on this 
current season right now. You know, let's finish in a good position and I'll be happy, you know, mm. because as we all know, the A's have either lost in the ALDS or that elimination wild card game. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I'm just focused on this season right now. <laughs> <laughs> and would you say that no matter what happens, it's been a good, successful year, oh, no yeah, matter totally. what? Totally. I mean, you, it's, it's kind of hard to explain to people that don't watch baseball how big the gap is between Oakland, you know, uh, financially, mm -hmm. Oakland and the New York Yankees, right? Yeah. It's huge. Um, and it means a lot. It means you're stuck in the Coliseum for <laughs> however long. And it means, most importantly, that you cannot find good free agents. You, I mean, you can almost never expect a big signing. And it also means that you have to use players that on other teams would be with their AAA affiliate. You know, so it's a surprise, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure welcome one. So yeah. <laughs> it's definitely made the last two months of the baseball season a lot more fun than you're expecting, I bet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's kind of amazing. I think they won six in a row recently, um, which was, I think, broken up either – I think I think it was in L.A. or was it with the uh, Angels? No, it was the Dodgers. I think they were playing. Yeah, Dodgers. Recently, yeah, yeah. yeah so. I, I think you're only three, three or four games out of the division lead too. So yeah, don't I know. Set your sights on the wild card. Make push for that division. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I swear to. Uh, I mean, I swear. A month ago, they were ten games behind Houston. Um, yeah, like it like happened really quick. Yeah, <laughs> it's made all this ground. Well, I also think um, the Mariners kind of slowed down a bit. Yeah, they yeah. opened the door for them, definitely. Yeah. So, lovely surprise. Uh, hopefully, they can keep this up. Um, I think they lost last night, but, you know, it's only one loss. So Sure, exactly. Yeah. They still got a you know, few game leads over Seattle before they start making a big comeback. So, should be fun. and. Yeah. I'm sure we'll be giving constant updates <laughs> every two weeks on recorded episode to see how things are going and winding down right. with the rest of the baseball season. So right. should be fun. So yeah, looking forward to doing this episode today because we're going to be talking about the review of the death of Superman animated movie as our feature topic, which as you guys know, was something I've been really looking forward to. So that should be fun. But I will say too, there's was something else I was really looking forward to recording this episode, Dane. And that is hearing what you thought of the latest Foo Fighters album, Concrete and Gold, because yeah. you just sent me a text out of the blue like a week or, week or so ago and just saying that you listened to the Sonic Highways album, which you weren't a big fan of. Mm -hmm. And then you're asking you know, what's up about the Foo Fighters and you asked how the latest album is. And I highly recommended it, saying that might be one you would enjoy. So I am curious to hear what you think of it, because you said after you listened to it. I'll wait to tell you what I think when we record our next episode. So <laughs> here we are recording our next episode. And now I want to hear what you think of Concrete and Gold. Yeah, like you said, I I, I didn't really like Sonic Highway's um, 
I thought it would have been a more raw sound. Mm-hmm. The, the whole concept of the album is they're going to go to eight different legendary studios and record songs there. Um, but it sounds like they recorded songs in one studio and uh, tried to change their, their, their sound a little bit um, with each song. Uh, so I wasn't really impressed, and there's only eight songs in there. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this real quick. Did you ever or have any desire to see the TV series they did for HBO? Yeah. <laughs> HBO, <laughs> doing the like, – each episode is you know telling – they go to each different city and rec- the process of writing and recording the, each song off the album. Yeah, I, I, I do, and I want to watch it. I just haven't had time to do it. It's really um, good. I mean, just even if, like you said, you weren't a big fan of the album, just the whole process and idea of yeah. doing that and getting the musical history and culture that influences it in each city is really cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I was wondering if that would enhance the the album, knowing that or seeing the song being written, mm-hmm. um, seeing the song being recorded. Um, maybe, you know, it it enhances the experience i think it will a little bit mm. there might be a song or two that you go you know what you might appreciate it once you hear the story and what went into it and just how the city influenced it yeah yeah um so for concrete and gold it's an all right album um especially coming off of uh, uh sonic highways I didn't really expect to like it. I mean, it's it's totally what you would expect from um, the Foo Fighters and a modern day rock band. Uh, there, there's really no surprises here. Um, and, really interesting, because I kind of feel the opposite. <laughs> as far as surprises go, it'd be a little different for them. No, and I don't know. I mean, it kind of left me wanting more. I guess like what I'm I'm expecting is the Foo Fighters to have a big album. Uh, they, I mean, Dave Grohl definitely knows how to write an album, and I don't know. I I I guess like going through the the Foo Fighters discography, I'm looking for something big. You know what I mean? Like their big album. Uh, you know, Pink Floyd had the wall or dark side of the moon or whatever a led zeppelin had uh zeppelin four or physical graffiti um nirvana had nevermind or in utero right so so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just looking for that big album and I, I i don't really see it and i don't think this is it but uh besides that like i i thought this was a real a well-written album um even if it's kind of like what you expected from the Foo Fighters, I I, I still think that um, it's it's great songwriting, uh, especially now that they're these big rock band. You know, they are the rock band that you would think of nowadays, right? Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I can respect it for that. Um, you know, the sound is kind of no offense, Tim. It's kind of like that generic rock and roll sound, but I feel it's enhanced by um, uh, the the songwriting. Um, I don't know if Dave Grohl gets a single credit for that, or if it's he, shared between all the band members. But he writes all the songs pretty much, but he gives 
the, like the whole band songwriting credit pretty oh. much. So yeah, it's a well written album. It's well recorded. I really like the guitars on this album more than I did um, uh, Sonic Highways. Mm-hmm. I think they got the, the the guitar sound right and um, the drums. I really like the drums on it. Um, but that being said, I I think they need to boost their bass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like your constant complaint. <laughs> Most of their records. I mean, I want to hear a bassist. That's all. I mean, I, I know this is guitar rock, right? Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I want to hear a bassist. You know, and, and I can appreciate that. I was a bass player in the band I played with, yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate the concern for the bass players. <laughs> and, and it's Nate Mendel, right? From mm, he's a really good bassist from Sunny Day Real Estate, whom I love. So, yeah, just boost that bass, and I think I think they need to dirty up their sound a bit. You know, it it can't be so studio based. Mm. Where it's that synthetic, it's it's because because it, it kind of sounds like it's starting to get to that synthetic point. I think they need to dirty up their sound, like in utero, um, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Steve Albini cut. I think I they think, need something more like that. I think out of all their albums, their uh, seventh album, "Wasting Light," which I love, is probably my second favorite mm-hmm. album of theirs. Is probably the most one that maybe not as dirty as you would like it, but I think it's kind of more in that style. It has that little bit more of an edge or dirtier rock to it. Yeah, because I I, th- I think they've reached this pinnacle, and I think they need to go backwards a little bit. I think they need to, you know, make it sound like they just showed up and wrote a bunch of songs, and they're playing it in front of you in your house. You know, I think they need that more of that sound rather than this this sort of heavily, heavily, heavily produced in a studio sound that they have. Which this album was, which is kind of a departure for, because there was a lot of like, um, background vocals added to as like, uh, harmonies and, or not necessarily harmonies, but there is, but more like the background oohs and ahs type in certain songs, which they don't do too much of was a departure for them. So I do get what you're saying. There's a lot more studio sound quality to it, which, you know, to me is not necessarily a bad thing when it's mixed and the songs are good and it's not, too overly produced where you can never pull it off live but probably out of most of the records i probably say this is the one that you could tell you know has that studio produced feel to it okay so so that was intentional then yeah they, mm-hmm. they, they went for that okay no no well i mean i guess that makes more sense and if that's what they were going for then you know i can't really fault him on that but i don't know i i just feel like the Foo Fighters need to go back a bit, pull, pull their, so- their, their their sound back a bit because it's it's getting to that point where it's like they overproduce it so much that it sounds like they don't care. I mean, I know they do, but mm. I don't know. It just sounds too, too um, studio-based, I guess. Mm. Okay, which... I can understand, like I said, that is kind of what they were going for on this one. But um, what was your favorite song off the album, if you had one, or the standout ones that really stood out to you? Uh, the hit, uh, The Sky is a Neighborhood. I really okay. liked that one. I, I thought that, you know, I think it's like the, is it the third song, Tim? Uh, fourth song? track. Fourth track. Yeah, yeah that that was perfect. That, that, that placement was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I also liked um, Run. Yeah, um, I love that song. Kind of too long. 
<laughs> I'd, I'd say it but, is one of the long ones, especially for a lead-off single. Because that was the first single off the album, <laughs> which you know lead singles aren't usually that long. But it's yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, that, that that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, I'm just glad you gave it a shot, and you know you enjoyed it for the most part. But I got to ask, what made you go on this Foo Fighters? Uh, listening binge <laughs> just out of the blue because i know you know they're not your favorite band but you listen to from time to time when we were doing our album reviews i gave you color in the shape which is my favorite album which you enjoy but didn't love as much as i did so i'm curious where did this new foo fighters interest <laughs> peak up uh this last few weeks um, was there anything in general or you just decided to listen to sonic highways out of the blue uh i saw a video of dave Grohl um at amoeba records Okay. I guess it's a record store in LA. Mm. Yeah. And they uh uh they they do this thing where you can pick stuff and then show it and he picked a lot of good records. So I was like, mm, "Oh, okay. Foo Fighters, let me check it out." And then I listened to <laughs> Sonic Highways and I was like, "What?" He, he he was picking all this like underground hardcore albums, right? Mm. From late 80s, early 90s. And like I listened to Sonic Highways and I was like, "Oh, that that that's like a totally different departure. I mean, I know you have to evolve your sound, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's a little too far. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, um, I listened to Sonic highways and then I asked you like, Oh, how is concrete and gold? You know, their most recent album. And you said, Oh, it's not my favorite, but you know, it's still good. And you know, I, I, I would agree with that, with that comment. It's, it's, not my favorite album, but, and it's, it's totally, you, you can, if this was a movie, you could point out every single twist and turn of the story. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I said, it's a well-written album. It's well-recorded, kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's got great songs on it, so. Um, oh, and another one is La Dida. I got that, uh, what is it, like? Jim Jones in a blue bedroom or something. Yeah. <laughs> What's that lyric? Uh, hey, and that one starts off with a bass intro, so there you go. Yeah, yeah maybe that's <laughs> it's what all, I like It's it. a fuzz bass. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had that song stuck in my head for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, so I yeah, guess when, that's good. Uh, yeah, hey, anytime a song gets stuck in your head, you, it's not one that annoys you. That's always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool, hey. I'm, as long as you're checking them out, that's, that makes me happy because you know yeah, what a big Blue yeah. Fighters fan I am. They're probably right under 311 for me is my favorite band to go. So <laughs> always happy to hear when you're checking new stuff out for them. Yeah, and if if I could give it a rating, um, I'm not sure where you you would stand on it, Tim, but I'm going to give it a three out of mm, five. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. I'd probably go as high as a four. Yeah. Because even this album's been out for almost a year now. I think September is when it came out last oh, year. Really? I've still been listening to it. I listened to it constantly when it first came out and still here and there I listened to it and I just continue to love it. So, yeah. Like I said, it's not my favorite album of theirs. I'd probably rank it either three or four out of their nine album discography. So, hmm. it's pretty high on there as more I listen to it. So, it's really solid. For some reason, I thought this came out this year. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and still doing a, they're still doing a long tour for it. So, maybe that's yeah. why <laughs> it feels like it's recent. And so what would you give um, Sonic Highways? Sonic Highways, I'd probably give that one a three. That one that one is probably kind of more 
on the bottom side of my favorite of their albums. Not at the very bottom, but kind of near it. You know what I almost feel like they should have done? They should have just released that as an EP, a two-part EP. Rather they actually, than an entire album. You know what? If you want to check out another Foo Fighters, some more Foo Fighters music, they have an EP that came out of Sonic Highways. That is only four tracks, but I think it's probably overall a better collection of songs. <laughs> it's kind of made me wish, you know, they should have put those four songs on Sonic Highways, even though it was recorded after, just considering how short Sonic Highways was yeah. and other four songs would have been, you know, I think made it a better album. But check out St. Cecilia, because that has a little more, it's only four tracks, and I think it has a little more of that, you know, raw sound that maybe you're looking for. All right, so I have Apple Music open. Um, Hopefully it's on there. That EP came out two yeah. years ago, two or three years ago, and it was pretty much made available anywhere, I remember. Uh, oh, there's five songs on it. You know what? Yeah, you're right. It's five. Yeah. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's St. Cecilia, Sean, Savior Grace, which is my favorite. Savior just- Breath. Oh, yeah, Savior Breath. Well, <laughs> saying my favorite song, and I can't even get the title right, so <laughs> shame on me. But uh, Savior Breath is awesome. Just a great, fast-paced, hearted punk song feel to it. Then there's Rooster. That's next, right? Or uh, Iron, Iron Rooster. Rooster yeah. yeah. That one is uh, kind of the, slow, the slowest one on the album, or EP is still really good. So Yeah. And another thing about Concrete and Gold, I, or Foo Fighters in general, I think Dave Grohl should just scream. <laughs> that's my favorite Foo Fighters he, right there he, he when he's screaming his head off <laughs> yeah he, he's got a great screaming voice he doesn't yep. I mean I know he tries to like pretty up his voice in the ballads um, like that um, is it my hero or you want to be my hero or something just my hero yeah my my hero um, mm. that you hear on the radio so, like a, every day yeah um, <laughs> yeah it is one of their bigger hits yep. <laughs> yeah don't do that <laughs> just, just scream but, I mean, that's all you gotta do I mean he he, he has that perfect he, he, he would have been awesome in a, a hardcore band mm. <laughs> or a metal band you know uh, just do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what that song Save Your Breath Save Your Breath is more that style oh. or scream so <laughs> if you're looking for that you're gonna love that song i think okay well i i guess i have my my album for next episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> ep dame we gotta be technical here it's oh EP. sorry EP. <laughs> extended play <laughs> all right so yeah it's been a while since we talked some music on here but like i said yeah. when it's ever foo fighters uh, I'm, I'm eager to talk about it so <laughs> i'm glad you checked it out but and with that, we can guess, go ahead and go into our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute minute commentary. And on this one, we're going to be going from uh, minutes 109 through 110, or an hour and 49 minutes to an hour and 50 minutes. So, as always, get your relevant media formats out, like your VHS player, your Betamax tape, your Laserdisc, your HD DVD, uh, Blu-ray now, and your blockbuster video membership card, your did Netflix you, physical did, media. Did you see that uh, the last blockbuster closed down? That's right. Yeah, yeah in Alaska, right? Yeah. I mean, we were talking about that a couple of, or probably a while ago now, but how <laughs> there's like only two left and it was in Alaska, <laughs> something like that. It's kind of a shame. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, not like a 
close family member passed away, <laughs> but like, like somebody that you met once that that made an impression on you. <laughs> Just some fond memories that yeah. I guess now you can no longer recapture. Yeah. So yes, blockbuster. Now that you're officially gone, you will be missed forever. Yes. But if you have any blockbuster video tapes lying around that you never bothered to return and you want to get them to DVD, you can also get your uh, VHS to DVD <laughs> converter. <laughs> that way they don't go to waste. Yeah. So, Dane, are you ready? Yes, Sam. All right. So I'll get the countdown in three, two, one, go. And we start off where actually my... <laughs> You're going to be a few seconds ahead of me, Dane, because my wouldn't play when I hit the button. So oh. <laughs> I think we just simply get that. But the emergency relief trucks are coming, and they're not what they seem. <laughs> now, you know, these are like the government agents that are going here. And, you know, I love The Dark Knight Rises, but this is one of the aspects of it where maybe the whole sequence of, you know, them doing Gotham City under, you know, under kind of the, doing the no man's land thing here where maybe went on a little too long here was getting these agents involved. I'm not sure if you really needed them, but I know that kind of just served the purpose to reveal that there's, you know, a traitor, a mole amongst the police department's mix, of course, creating that doubt. We all know ended up being Miranda Tate slash Talia, but I don't know if you felt that way, but this is one of the sequences where I felt that maybe went on a little bit too long before, you know, it gets back with Batman coming back and everything. I think the um, the time between the last time we see Batman and when he comes back is just in general too long. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the movie kind of just slows down. Yeah, just where, for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just for a little bit. I mean, it's not like Batman versus Superman, where it's like they're they're introducing all these other elements that have nothing to do with. I mean, that you don't care about, you know. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one little critique we had to give the Dark Knight Rises yeah. here. Is that your first out of all the minutes we've been doing? <laughs> I think so. Um, also, the John Blake at uh, Wayne Manor <laughs> went on for like Well, that only seems long Yeah, when you're doing it minute by minute. Yeah. <laughs> this is something that seems a little dragged out when you're actually watching the movie. Yeah. So. All right, so that's going to do it for our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. And now we can get into the feature topic, which, as I alluded to at the beginning, is going to be my review of the Death of Superman animated movie. So, as I mentioned before, I was really, really looking forward to this one ever since they announced it back at Comic-Con last year when Warner Brothers announced their animated movie slate. This one was at the top of my list as far as, oh, man, I can't wait for it. Out of all the movies coming out in 2018, this is the one I want the most, and I wish it was coming out first. But it's here now, and it's been getting a lot of good buzz from those who saw it at Comic-Con a few or a month ago, I should say now. And then just when it came out, um, digitally two weeks before I got the Blu-ray. I've just been seeing a lot of reactions on Twitter for people saying they've been really enjoying it. It's one of the best animated movies that DC's put out. So I was super excited about it to finally get to watch it when I got it this past week. And I'm happy to say that, yeah, it is really good. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't want to turn this into a bashing of Superman's Dooms- of Superman Doomsday, the first animated movie from 2007. But yeah, it surpasses doomsday so i mean it's something that was i don't want to say you know 11 years in the making because i never thought we would get another adaption of (laughs) the death of superman storyline but i'm glad we did and it pretty much delivered for the most part i got a 
little complaint about it that hinges it from being really, really great to me, and I'll get to that later. But um, right off the bat, there's just a few things I want to touch on before we get to the actual Superman versus Doomsday fight. And that's just, you know, a great job they did of building up the relationship with Superman with several characters and just Metropolis in general. I mean, one of the big things in this movie is his relationship with Lois. And of course, that plays a big factor once he dies and just what it does to her and, you know, makes it that much more heartbreaking when he does die. And since this is in the new kind of like the new 52 continuity they established in these movies, beginning with Justice League War, um, they didn't really establish the Superman Lois relationship at the beginning. They went the played with the Wonder Woman relationship route, just like the new 52 did. But they did a good job in this movie establishing that, you know, things didn't work out with Superman and Wonder Woman. And now he's with Lois. But with something they did a little differently that you don't see too much in Superman stories is that it's not Lois, you know, obsessed with Superman or in love with Superman and, and Superman and Lois have that connection. It's actually Clark that Lois and Lois and Clark <laughs> established or have a relationship or are going out together. But he hasn't told her that he is Superman yet. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go because most of the time it's usually the opposite where it's Superman and Lois in love with each other and then it gets revealed that he's Clark Kent. But they're doing it the opposite way. And I think it worked well for this movie. But just in the limited amount of time they had, they just did a great job of establishing their connection and their relationship together that made it more impactful when uh, he does die uh, at the end. You see her reaction for it. And, <laughs> you know, I probably should have said this at the beginning, but. Either way, you probably there's not going to be much spoilers because the title's right there and you know what this is about. But spoilers for I guess more further details about the death of Superman, even though there's not much more than really what's implied in the title. But I had to put it out there, even though if I was a little late in establishing that. But the spoiler running is now there. I'm gonna talk about stuff in the movie that might be considered spoilers or might not, but it's out there. Uh, but yeah, so not only his relationship with Lois, but his relationship with the Justice League too. And that's another aspect of this movie I just really, really loved because that was something missing in Superman's Doomsday and Superman Doomsday. But, and it was such a kind of a, a big part of the comic series too, where the Justice League faced off against Doomsday before Superman did. Um, but just even before that, the interaction Superman had with the different Justice League members, there's a great, I mean, sequence where they are meeting at the hall of justice and the, the round table talking about missions. And then, uh, Flash mentions how you know he's getting married to Iris in a day or two, and that spawns a conversation with Superman. Kind of asks, like being surprised a little bit that uh, Iris knows that the Flash is Barry Allen, and how like Barry's all, of course she does. You know, I can't marry her and have any secrets with her, and that's kind of getting Superman thinking. You know, he should probably tell Lois, and Wonder Woman actually encourages him to do so as well as they were in a training section in the Hall of Justice, which is a pretty cool sequence where we see them fighting Metallo and Cheetah. But just that dynamic of the justice, several members of the Justice League telling Superman he should, you know, be honest with Lois if, you know, she's the one he really loves and, you know, cares about her. He should you should probably tell her the truth. So that was a whole kind of theme dynamic going in to the overall story before we get to the doomsday part. And Batman didn't have a big role in it, but he had a cool enough role in where there was a great moment at the end that I just love. It was real small, but. You know, he had an action sequence with Doomsday. He can't do much, of course, against this big, powerful, hulking monster. But, you know, he got his few shots in there with his gadgets and explosives that made for some cool Batman moments. But my favorite moment with Batman came at the very end 
where Superman has died and him and the rest of the Justice League members are just looking over his body and the destruction that was left there. And just Batman, the expression on his face says it all. And this is what I just love. His eyes kind of widened as he sees Superman's dead and his face or his hand is clenched in a fist. But then it just kind of slowly just lets go of his hand and just kind of shows his pain. He doesn't say anything, but you just see the hurt that Batman has in his facial expression and then just his hand kind of just falling flat and where you just see the hurt he has and knowing that the friend, one of his closest friends in Clark and Superman is now gone. So I just loved how they displayed that aspect and the dynamic of the relationship without any words. You just see the hurt that Batman has in that moment. It was just really, really well done. And then the other aspect that I really liked that they established in the movie is just kind of the relationship Superman had with Metropolis. I mean, the beginning of the movie starts out with him stopping inner gang from a bank robbery. You see the appreciation he has from the police. And then as they're rounding him, rounding the criminals up, you see different people on the street just wanting to take pictures of him, showing their love for Superman. And as he flies off with Lois to drop her off to the Daily Planet, he stopped, more people stop to like say hi to Superman. You just really feel, you know, the love and appreciation that Metropolis as a city has for him. And especially with the character Bibbo, who, you know, is steep in Superman comic history and is kind of his biggest fan. And they really made a point of showing that in this movie as well. He kind of represents Metropolis as a whole and what uh, they view Superman and how much they love and appreciate him for all he does. And all that just added to, you know, the weight the story needed to when Superman actually dies. And you feel the sorrow and the mourning that the city of Metropolis along with Lois and along with the different Justice League members had once he finally dies. So it just they did a great job of building it up to where once we get to that big moment, it's just a really great payoff. It doesn't feel rushed or doesn't feel like doesn't have an impact because they didn't establish enough time with establishing all those different relationships. They just really nailed it as far as getting all they could to make Superman's death as impactful as it could be once that time comes. But here's where I'll get to my one negative of the film. It is a little slow before it gets going in certain spots. Like I said, all the stuff with the Justice League is great. Superman's uh, relationship with Lois, there's some good scenes there. But Lex Luthor in this one is kind of what I felt slowed it down a little bit. I mean, I know he plays a role in the original Superman Doomsday story in the comics. But in this one, I just felt his story arc here could have been left out and we wouldn't be missing much. Because it's kind of the same thing. He wants to show Metropolis that he's their savior, not Superman. And he wants to have that moment where he can prove that to be the case. And once he discovers that, you know, there's a comet coming to Earth. And, of course, that's Doomsday. He sends his team to investigate it. He sees Doomsday uh, kill all his, you know, scientific team who went to investigate the meteor site crash underwater and just sees how powerful Doomsday is. That's where he thinks, okay, this is my chance. I can show Metropolis in the world that we don't need Superman, that I can be their savior. And he begins to, you know, build his suit um, that he thinks can withstand and take down Doomsday, but which ends up not being the case. And there's a moment in the middle of the Superman Doomsday fight where Superman's down for the count for a bit and Lex comes in with his exosuit made out of this new material that was taken from inner gang and seems to be from apocalypse and they think it's indestructible indestructible but doomsday takes his suit out real quick and superman has to save lex luthor again so his story arc in the beginning i felt slowed the pace of the film down and i thought there could have been another action scene in the middle 
kind of because like I said, there's an action scene in the beginning where Superman takes down Inner Game, and then of course the big Justice League and Superman Doomsday fight. Is there just one more action bit kind of spaced out between those two moments? And at the expense of the Lex Luthor stuff, I felt the movie would have been, you know, better paced and had a better flow to it. So that's just kind of my one nitpick here. The Luthor storyline didn't really do much for me. I thought it slowed it down a little bit in the beginning. But Rain Wilson did a good job as voicing Lex, though. I will say that. <laughs> I was curious to see how he would do. Rain Wilson is Dwight from The Office. And there was a little Dwight in there in some moments when <laughs> things would go Superman's way and not uh, Lex's. So I thought it was a pretty interesting casting. Not the best Lex Luthor voice actor ever, but I thought he did a good job. So, yeah, all that stuff leads up to the big moment and what we're all <laughs> excited to see in the movie, the fight between Superman and Doomsday. But before that, the Justice League battle I thought was really, really cool. And again, just so glad they were used in this movie like they were in the comics. But what makes it better than the comics was the members of the Justice League <laughs> that were used here. I mean, you got all the big ones, Batman, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman. Then you had Hawkman and Martian Manhunter, Martian Manhunter and Aquaman, who didn't have quite big moments, but they each had one shot at Doomsday and a cool little action beat that showed you know their strength trying to take out doomsday but still proved to be ineffective and of course cyborg 2 was another one but of course my favorite had to be when green lantern showed up and being the cocky hal jordan think he could take him no problem creating a really cool construct this huge like jackhammer smashing doomsday thinking he took him out but doomsday is able to get through the power of the ring and if it wasn't for the strong will that hal jordan had and keeping his green lantern shield as long as he could he would have been taken out much more easily but it was just a cool to see green lantern again in action which is you know haven't been the case sadly in some of these more recent animated movies i'm still hoping there's a green lantern specific movie down the line because just seeing him in action again in here just made me think oh i miss the days when we're getting green lantern animated movies and we had a whole cartoon show for him so (laughs) hopefully i don't have to wait too long once that Hopefully, the Green Lantern Corps live-action movie gets going again. Then he'll get some more animated movies because uh, it's just so cool seeing him in action. So, yeah, the Justice League stuff was great. Like I said, each one had their own cool little moment in their fight against Doomsday. But, of course, they all get taken out. And then Superman has to come in and uh, begin his fight with Doomsday. It was a great lead-up to that, too, because it starts off with Clark and Lois at Bibbo's restaurant. And this was going to be the moment where Clark tells Lois that he is Superman. And he does. But before they really have time to digest it and go over it, that's where he realizes he gets the call from uh, the Justice League saying he needs to get over there and he has to go into the fight. And so, yeah, there was a nice moment where he was going to tell her his identity. He's going to tell her he loves her, but he couldn't. He had to leave real fast. So he just left her a note saying, you know, I love you. And that plays a little bit towards the end where the final words he had was Lois before he dies where she returns that. So it was just really cool stuff and set up for, again, the good impact and, you know, the emotion they were looking for once he actually dies. But, boy, the fight leading up to, you know, the death of Superman, of course, the big draw for the movie, it did not disappoint for me. It was really, really well done. It's pretty much, you know, 15 to 20 minutes worth of just Superman and Doomsday going at it. And, boy, the animation was you know, fluid and solid, and they just really captured the brutality and just the power that both characters had. I mean, you really feel the punches <laughs> that Doomsday lands on Superman and Superman lands on Doomsday. Just really great stuff. A lot of, you see, like, the sonic booms go out and a lot of uh, blows that land, just shockwaves going across buildings, breaking the glass. It's really 
did a great job of just showing how powerful those two characters is. And the fight choreography was cool too. There was a probably the highlight of the whole fight was a sequence on the bridge where Superman and Doomsday are going at it, but Superman has to protect some civilians as well. There's a great moment where Superman tries to get this woman out of a car and Doomsday just throws another car at him and he's blocking the car with one hand and then holding the uh, car with the civilian in the other and just protecting her. It's just really cool. And then he just goes after Doomsday using different objects to go against him and, you know, pounding him with, you know, Doomsday throws a boat at him. Superman catches it and <laughs> uses it to throw it back at Doomsday and this laser beams going out of each other. Just really fast paced. This is really, really cool. So I love that whole bridge sequence. And then again, what I love about this movie is the balance they had, but the cool action, but then some, you know, uh, good character moments and beats here too, because as great as the action was on that bridge sequence, there's a nice moment where Superman saves this little kid where him and his mother are running off, but he drops his, you know, handheld device. It looked like a Nintendo 3DS, so <laughs> that's what I'm going to call it. He drops the DS on the bridge and he goes off to try to retrieve it. The little boy does, but... Hey, you Tim, know, the, did, did they still make games for the 3DS or is it just exclusively Twitch? Uh, not Twitch. Uh, <laughs> the Switch. <laughs> Switch, yeah. Yeah, the Nintendo Twitch doesn't sound bad either, but <laughs> <laughs> they actually do. I don't think not as many high-profile games anymore, but yeah. there's still titles out there, so I guess it's still relevant where they decided to use a design that kind of looked like they did in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And and, yeah. and sorry, I don't mean to keep sidetracking us, but um, how, how's the Switch doing game-wise? <laughs> I was doing really well, actually. Really. Yeah, I mean, they have the big new Smash Brothers game coming out this fall. That's going to be huge because it looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what about the um, uh, third-party releases? Yeah, they had Square just put out a new game, like an RPG called Octopath Traveler, yeah. which is selling really, really well and got great reviews. That's one I kind of want to check out eventually, too. So <laughs> it's well. doing a lot better than the Wii U did. That's for darn sure. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yep. So anyway, back to Superman <laughs> or Su- death of Superman. Death I of say. Superman. Um, so yeah, Superman saves that kid and you think he's just saving the kid and that's all that matters. But Superman being the great guy he is, he even saved his DS as well. So <laughs> he saves the kid, hands him the DS and he, the kid starts to run off. But before he does, he goes back and just gives a hug to Superman. This is a nice little moment again, showing that relationship Superman has with just ma- the city of Metropolis as a whole. So yeah, great mix of action and this, you know, emotional character beats too that I thought they hit. And this beautiful scenery I thought too that they captured in this fight. The bridge sequence looked great, but there was this one moment where Superman like punches Super or Doomsday into the air. It's the night sky, there's clouds, the moon shining bright. Just seeing both of them in the air like that it almost reminded me of the shot in Batman 89 where the Batwing flies up to form the bat signal on the moon. They didn't go over the moon to have any silhouettes like that, but just the how the scenery looked in that shot was just very beautifully animated. So probably visually my favorite shot of the movie. I just loved how it looked and seeing them fighting in that atmosphere, which is so, so cool. And another aspect I really liked about the movie is they incorporated some nice nods to several Superman movies throughout. I mean, uh, there's a bit of dialogue in the middle of the fight after Superman saves Lois and Jimmy from the helicopter got that got hit in his fight with Doomsday. And uh, they kind of reversed the lines of how Lois 
tells Superman in the first movie with Christopher Reeve where he says, you got me, but who's got you? Superman actually says that to Lois after, you know, he's winded and just, you know, trying to take a short break to get his stamina back after the fight. So Lois goes to kind of help him up. And, you know, he says that uh, to Lois instead of her saying to him, he says, you got me, but who's got you? You know, saying he has to do all he can to protect her in the city. So that was a nice nod. And then there was a Man of Steel reference. I thought that was cool where it wasn't Superman, though. It was actually Wonder Woman where she has Doomsday on the ground and she's just like flying against the ground floor of the streets of Metropolis. And she's just pounding him just like kind of Superman did to Zod after he was going to attack uh his mom Martha in that moment in Man of Steel. I thought that was a cool nod to that. And then even with the big death of Superman, once we get to that moment, um, I felt that I was referencing Batman versus Superman there with how Superman actually died with a stab with one of Doomsday's, you know, bone blades that got him, just kind of how it did in Batman versus Superman. So just little nods to the different Superman movies was sprinkled throughout the course of the film, which I thought was nice. So, yeah, so again the final bit of the battle where superman actually dies i said how there's a lot of great build-up to it and yeah it really delivered as far as having the impact it needed to and feeling you know the weight of superman's death and i just like how it was all done superman getting pounded by doomsday here and he's almost at his wit's end but then lois comes in you know she knows she can't do anything she's just throwing some rocks at doomsday just trying to get him off superman because she knows you know if he dies we're all dead anyway might as well do what I can. So Superman falls to the ground and Doomsday just leaves him there and he starts walking to Lois, going to kill her. And that's where Lois, you know, tells Superman that she loves him too after getting that note. And that just, you know, Superman hearing that, he almost goes on full like Dragon Ball power-up mode where he just see him get up. He starts getting his energy back, the ground shaking. He sees like the vibrations and he just goes at full speed and force to doomsday before he can kill Lois. And he just uses both fists to punch him in the face. And you just see his neck snap and turn around (laughs) almost fully, thus killing, killing him. But that's where doomsday got his, you know, bone blade into Superman as well. That's how he dies. So just a great climactic end to what was a really great action sequence with Superman and doomsday. And it's really what this story deserved and an adaption of that, you know, iconic, comic storyline being adapted into a movie the fight scene delivered on really what it should have been so i was more than happy with that it was just really really great and the movie ends after the final fight and they had the funeral the justice league's there but i do like that batman wasn't there (laughs) he just you know he couldn't bring himself out to go there especially in broad daylight in public but he was doing his own mourning in wayne manor with alfred and damien which was a cool touch and one of the things that was kind of heartbreaking to see in the funeral sequence is how Jonathan and Martha Kent couldn't be, you know, like sitting down in the main area. Of course, they have that section blocked off, but any citizen of Metropolis can come around to watch it from a distance. And you just see the police police officer telling them, sorry, you can't go beyond this point. You have to stay back. And Martha's just crying. I mean, she can't be there for her own son's funeral. It's kind of sad to see. And they can't say anything because they don't want to reveal he's Clark. But and the officer even knows that, like, man, you're taking this really hard. <laughs> and they're saying, we know how much Superman meant to the city and for us. But you just know deep down it's because <laughs> the reality is they lost their son. And it just was kind of sad to see that they couldn't be there amongst Superman's closest friends to honor him. So, yeah, just a lot of great stuff. And it, it then ends with, 
you know, Superman's body being taken, being taken out from his coffin into where he was buried. Thus, of course, setting up the second movie, which is going to be the reign of the Superman and or the reign of the Superman, I should say, which is going to be really cool as well. So, yeah, I loved it. I guess, like I said, my only negative is that it was a little slow in the beginning with the Lex Luthor stuff. But other than that, it was pretty much everything I was hoping it would be. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one a four and a half out of five. I thought it lived up to the hype and the buzz I was hearing about it. Definitely glad that it lived up in that regards, too. I thought it was really, really well done. So I just want to get your opinion on this. Did they do the the death of Superman better in um, Batman vs Superman, and for the most, I guess for the most part, Justice League, or did they do it better here? Yeah, definitely better here. Yeah, oh, it just felt like yes. a more complete story where the Batman vs Superman, like we talked about before. I mean, don't want to get into that whole discussion yeah, yeah. again, but it's just like it just felt like that wasn't the right time to do the death of Superman story. It just kind of came out of left field, especially when I saw it for the first time. So, but yeah, so this is definitely the best adaption you're going to get of it right now, other than the comic. This hit all the right beats. I thought they should also do uh, funeral for a friend, or as I like to call it, the most boring storyline ever in comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, they just briefly touched on that at the end yeah. <laughs> where they have his funeral with the Justice League. If anything, the covers for those issues are great, though. I yeah. love those covers where Batman's just at the top and you see him kind of like throwing the cape down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I remember buying that. Um, this was back when, like, you could buy the... I'm not sure how it is today, but you could buy the collection of the single comics. Uh-huh. They had yeah. the whole entire storyline. And I thought I had bought the death of a Superman, yeah. <laughs> but, but I bought funeral for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> like, man, like, how, like this death must have happened real quick. I already skipped <laughs> over it. I'm at the funeral already. <laughs> I think the first page is uh, Lois crying with uh, mm-hmm. Superman. You know, his suit's all ripped up and everything. Yeah, I think that's like the first page or something. I was like, <laughs> oh, so they did it off off screen. Yeah, <laughs> off page. Yeah, off page. <laughs> yeah, that was another cool thing about the movie. They thought that visually capturing the look, you know, not the artistic style of the comic, but the stuff you remember from like Superman's ripped suit and like how bad torn it was when he fought Doomsday at the end. It had that feel to it. And then even at the beginning, Superman, or I don't know why I'm getting the characters mixed up, but <laughs> Doomsday, his suit, his green suit that he had before it revealed the big monster that was behind it. I always love that aspect of doomsday at the early stages of the fight in the comic and just like that design and glad they put it here in the movie as well. And just how, you know, just what a walking destruction destruction he was. I mean, just a rampaging monster stopping at, at nothing in his path, tearing down anything that got in his way and even civilians because the movie captured that as well. How Nothing was stopping him. And now he, like he goes to a campsite, kills, civilians there kills a bear that was at the campsite just showing the destructive power that he is before superman and the justice league got him so they took enough stuff from the comics that was you know just cool to see on screen as well so yeah just hats off to everyone who was involved with the movie just a great job so yeah that's gonna be it for our future topic and it's great to finally see the movie like i said it was Really excited to see about it. It's been waiting a year <laughs> since it's got announced and it delivered. So I'm really happy about that. But 
now we got some other news and discussions topics to discuss. And one of them being is that Matt Reeves is talking a little more about his Batman movie, which is technically, I guess, still called the Batman. We'll see if that sticks as the final title. But um, I believe he was kind of like a film festival recently where um, he was doing some Q&As with different uh, journalists that were there. And, of course, they had to ask about the Batman. So um, he touched on a few things which were pretty interesting. So I'll go ahead and read a few of those uh, quotes he had as bullet points and kind of go over uh, what it might mean for the film and what we think. But, you know, first gives an update on where the movie is at. He goes, we are working on getting our draft in the next couple of weeks. He says, right now my head is totally in the script. And right now I'm going to be leaving here to go back to work on the script. And in regards to shooting, he goes, um, what we've talked about is hopefully in the spring or early summer, something like that. And then again, of course, you know, kind of the state of the DCEU, not being sure, you know, if it's going to continue or if it's going to be reset with the Batman movie. They're going to be part of the DCEU universe. And we know it's continuing with Aquaman and Shazam. But I guess the big question, will Batman be a part of it? And he goes, uh, there are ways in which all this connects to DC, to the DC universe as well. We're, we're one piece of many pieces. So I don't want to comment on that except to say that I'm focused very specifically on this aspect of the DC world. And then as far as what comics they're adapting from because there was a story a few weeks ago that oh he's they're going to be doing year one and it's like taking inspiration from year one and that got some people thinking oh isn't that kind of like a rehash of batman begins <laughs> i mean is, are we going to get another origin story like that but i always kind of took it that that's really not the case you might be taking inspirations from it in other ways like visually or certain characteristics but not necessarily the origin story aspect and i think that's kind of what is going to be the case because he says here we're not doing any particular comic year one is one of the many comic books that i love we are definitely not doing year one it's just exciting to be focused very specifically on a tale that is defining for him and very personal to him obviously we're not doing an origin tale or anything like that we're doing a story that is definitively batman through though and trying to tell a story that's emotional and yet is really about him being the world's greatest detective and all the things that for me, since I was a kid, made me love Batman. You see, this made me happy. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't want to see another year one adaptation like um, uh, Batman Begins was. Um, yeah, because you already got it. It was done perfectly. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I, 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 I absolutely 100% do not want to see another um, scene of the, the, the Waynes coming out of the theater and then, you know... Uh, Joe Chill shows up, and you know, I don't need to see that again, especially after Batman vs. Superman. Just uh, that, that was just awful. I mean, it was, <laughs> it, it was that, and then it turned into the, the, the Bat Dream. I just don't need to see that again. Yeah, it's kind of like the Spider Man thing where you don't need to see his origin of the old <laughs> Uncle Ben speech again. Like, we know what it is, and it's great, but for movie audiences, you don't want them to get you know, tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. So as impactful as the Wayne murders are to Batman's story and then how important it is, obviously you don't necessarily need to see it for every new Batman movie or story that we're getting. So yeah, totally agree with you on there. And again, like you said, reading that made me happy as well. Just, you know, hitting the things that, that make me excited about the movies, how he says, you know, this is, you know, a defining like, personal story to him and how we're really trying to make it a detective story which is really cool to me then he goes on to add to that saying 
I've talked about making a very point of view, noir driven, definitive Batman story in which he is investigating a particular case that takes us out into the world of Gotham. I went on a deep dive again, revisiting all my favorite comics, those all informed by osmosis. There's no continuation of the Nolan films. It's very much trying to find a way to do this something or to do this as something that for me is going to be definitively Batman new and cool. So yeah, to me, just guess the important aspect of what this Batman movie is going to be. That's both different, but yet honoring what we love about the characters, something that's, you know, going to be, I just see what gets me excited is like I said, the personal, you know, defining story that they're trying to tell for him, which to me, when you get into Batman's, you know, emotional state where his head's at something that's really important for him, that's going to make for a great Batman story, which it usually does when we get stories like that in the comics in animated episodes or movies and just live action movies like the dark Knight trilogy. And the fact that he's going to do it here, having it revolve around this detective story and a case that he's going to go on that maybe, I don't know, just makes him think about his life and role as Batman, or maybe it harkens back to his parents' murder, maybe without, you know, showing it, but that's going to be something that ties into that. And that makes it a very personal story and case for him to go on in this movie. So there's just a lot of stuff that, gets you excited about what Matt Reeves has planned here. So yeah, definitely exciting to hear him talk about it. And also too, we might not have to wait too long to the movie to start finally begin production. As he says, probably next spring or early summer is when the cameras might be rolling on it. So that's going to be exciting. And I would like to think by then we'd finally have a definitive answer as far as Affleck not coming back and who's going to be the new Batman, because that's still a thing going on right now. And you know, I'm just waiting for the official announcement because, as we said before and discussed, I'm kind of expecting an Affleck not to come back, sadly. But, you know, and if he does, it'll be a surprise, but I'll welcome it. But at the same time, I'm just preparing myself for a new actor to take on the role of Batman. So we'll, if that is the case, then we'll be finding that out probably in the next few months as well. So things are look to be picking up fairly soon for a new Batman movie, which is always exciting, of course, to be able to follow and discuss as we get you know closer to its production and then when we finally get a release date for it so it's always a good time when we got a new batman film on the horizon but before we get the new batman film by matt reeves we're going to be getting the birds of prey movie which um was revealed of who the villain is going to be for that film and it was first reported by the rap that it is going to be black mask and this is something i'm really excited about as well because um we're getting a new batman villain that we haven't seen before yet in live action and i think it's a villain that can work well without being in an actual batman movie i think he could be great as a villain for a batman movie as well but he's gone up against you know some of the characters that are going to be in the birds of prey in the comics as well so i think he fits in the mold for a villain that they're going to be facing here and i'm just excited to see black mask i mean visually he's i think one of the cooler looking batman villains especially the one that's just the black skull mask. And I really hope that's the design they use because to me that's become the definitive look for black mask instead of his first one where he's kind of more like in a mob boss suit and just has a black mask that's made out of a coffin covering just the front of his face. And that's it. And you can still kind of see the side of his face, like his cheeks and all that. So that wasn't my favorite, but it's not horrible either. It still has its unique look to it, but I prefer the one that's the skull mask. It just looks really cool and I think would be awesome to see even live action. So I'm excited about that. And again, one other thing I'll say about Black Mask as far as how he'll be portrayed in this movie. 
I'm kind of hoping he's because he's obviously probably going to be a mob boss as he is most of the time in the stories that he appears in. But I hope it's more akin to the Black Mass we saw in the War Games comics, which is a great story and just show how he got a lot of power in the mob underworld and the damage he did. And not so much like how he was portrayed in the Under the Red Hood animated movie. And again, you know, I love that movie. It's probably still my favorite Batman movie out of the DC animated movie universe line. But Black Mask there, while he wasn't bad, I just felt sometimes played a little too much for comic relief. And you just see him lose his temper when things go wrong and just kind of didn't seem very much like the capable mob boss that I think he can be. So, again, just hope he's not paid for that type of mob boss who's going to provide laughs by yelling and screaming when everything goes wrong just playing for jokes i mean he can have that but have it be done in a more serious way he's not coming off as a joke so that's the only little bit of i want to say a concern because i don't know what they're going to do i have to say i hope they go more towards you know the capable mob boss that we all know he is and the different stories we've seen like uh, in war games and to a i guess certain extent Arkham Origins, even though, big spoiler alert <laughs> for anybody who hasn't played that game, it wasn't really Black Mask under who was operating that whole plan there. I won't say who it is because that's a big point of the story, but you um, still, you know, got the essence of what the Black Mask character is about in that game, too. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. How about you, Dan? Totally forgot about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally How could you forget? It's one of the best. <laughs> yeah, there, there was this news that came out, and then also that I, I guess Lady Gaga turned out her role. See, that's the one I forgot about. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know how serious that was. I don't know if it's just like a rumor report or if it's there was some actual factual basis to her turning down a role. So I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so after we got the Black Mass news, then we got some casting for uh, the Batwoman role that's going to be on the. DC TV crossover this year with Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl. And I think if all goes according to plan, uh, Batwoman's going to get her own spinoff series. So um, the actress who got cast in the role is Ruby Rose. And an actress who I'm not too familiar with. I haven't really seen her or anything. But um, she looks like she could play the part of Kate Kane. And I know that she was kind of very emotional about getting the part. It means a lot to her. I know she was on Jimmy Fallon, I believe, a few days ago, where she was talking about getting the part. And kind of almost uh, started crying on the interview too, just how much it means to her to get this role. So uh, we'll see. It looks like she's going to be good for the role, but we'll see how the character, you know, is written and portrayed once we actually see those episodes. So just, you know, kind of cool to get the casting announcement knowing that it's getting closer to see Batwoman in live action and just can't wait to see that costume. That's really the big thing (laughs) is how well the costume is going to look. But um, you being the resident Batwoman fan dane what do you think of the casting i i guess it's good like you said i haven't really seen ruby rose and in anything really um but it it clearly clearly means a lot to her she she was getting like all emotional and stuff and Mm. i see a lot of people on twitter saying that you know they're happy that they actually got a uh, a person that's gay to play a character that is right or, mm-hmm. or sorry lesbian uh which is great so yeah i i, I gotta see i gotta see that costume first <laughs> i don't the, the the one thing is i don't want to see a domino mask 
Just give her the full Batwoman yeah. mask, the wig, the cape, mm-hmm. the the leather, the black leather outfit, you know? Yeah, just go all out. I mean, Don't do a domino mask. That's all I ask. Because <laughs> if she has a domino mask, why would she even bother to be called Batwoman? Right, right. <laughs> you got to have a cow if you want to have the bat name. <laughs> or, or what does... What did Arrow have? Like a like black face paint or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that lasted for about a season and a half. But thankfully, he got his regular domino mask. <laughs> yeah, just like just after a season. <laughs> just don't do the domino mask. Just give I've her seen, the full. Yeah. I was Go gonna ahead. say I've seen jokes online too about the costume. People say, "Hey, here is Bat." First look at Batwoman's costume, and it's just a like a leather jacket with the Batwoman logo on there, <laughs> like something real simple. And it's like, yeah, that they have gone that route in the past. So I can see why it's a joke and it is funny, but I don't know. I just would like to think maybe I'm too hopeful, but, but for kind of bringing in the first, you know, bat family character into the CW universe, yeah. you got to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, gotta, you just got to get it right. So, yeah, and it's not only that, it's also really well designed. Yeah, uh, in mm-hmm. my opinion. So no, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, j- just do. Y- y- you already have the the costume designed. Just do that. You know, don't don't try to just okay. Here's a leather jacket. Here's a pair of black jeans and a domino mask. You know, do, don't do that. Just give her the whole thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> right there with you. So we'll probably get that reveal not too long from now. So good, good. But but nope. you know, I'm glad that you know it, it means a lot to her, which means you know she she cares about it uh, about it, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good to see. All right. So with that, that's going to do it for our news and discussion topics for this episode, and we can go ahead and get into our listener feedback section and conversation with Alex. And as always, we got an email from Jordan, and he starts us off by saying, Hey, Tim and Dane and Alex, what a batastic San Diego Comic-Con it was this year. I am so excited about the DCU AOM line in 2019 slate. I'll get to my non-spoiler thoughts on the Depth of Superman later on. Short version, I loved it. And based on that, combined with the reign of the Superman featurette and the news that Gotham is or that Gotham's Jerome slash Jeremiah Cameron Monaghan will be voicing Superboy, my excitement level is extremely high for Reign of the Superman. Of course, that's the film we already knew about, though. In terms of the ones just released, wow. Justice League versus The Final Five sounds awesome. I wonder if it will tie in with the Legion of Superheroes, since the Fatal Five are primarily Legion villains. Batman Hush is the one that had me running around and screaming when it was announced. I've been waiting for them to adapt Hush for so long. It's one of my all-time favorite comics. They almost did it in the Batman continuity years ago as a sequel to the Batman vs. Dracula. There's even some concept art from it online, but unfortunately that just didn't come to pass. I'm holding out hope that maybe they'll do what they did for the new Batman Adventures 20th anniversary last year with Batman and Harley Quinn and set Batman hushed in the Batman's continuity for its 15th anniversary next year. As you guys know, The Batman is my all-time favorite animated series, and I feel it deserves a reunion movie like the new Batman Adventures and Scooby-Doo and Batman the Brave and the Bold have gotten recently. Even if that doesn't come to pass, though, it's still a dream come true for me to getting a Batman Hush animated film in any continuity. The one thing I can't stop thinking about is getting the iconic Bat-Cat rooftop kiss from Batman 610 in animated form. Then there's Wonder Woman Bloodlines. It's awesome to finally be getting another Wonder Woman animated movie. It's been a long wait since the last one. Ten years by the time this one comes out. 
It's also another case of WB creating synergy between their live action and animated films, since it will likely be out around the same time as Wonder Woman 1984. In terms of the continuities of all these movies, there's no word on it yet, and it's hard to say. The pattern has been that the first two releases of the year are in continuity, and the third one is out of continuity. But with four films instead of three in 2019, that might not be the case. Like I said, my ultimate hope would be for Batman, Hush, to be out of continuity and instead set in the Batman's continuity, which I suppose would make sense with it being in the third release of 2019. If it's in a continuity other than the Batman, though, including the new 52-inspired shared universe, I'd love for them to bring back Jennifer Carpenter as Catwoman from Batman Gotham by Gaslight, because she was remarkable in the role. My guess is that Justice League vs. The Fatal Five will be in continuity since it's the second release of the year, and those usually are. As for Wonder Woman Bloodlines, I think it would be awesome if they set it out of continuity and put it in the same continuity as the 2009 movie and paid off that cheetah tease from the end. That would be awesome and would help it further tie in with Wonder Woman 1984. I, I could also see them taking inspiration from the first arc of the New 52 Wonder Woman, since that is titled Blood. That is even more likely if Wonder Woman Blood lies in the stead set in the New 52-inspired shared universe, of course. Yeah, I'm like I said in the last episode, I'm kind of hoping that's the case for Wonder Woman, that it's based off the first arc from the New 52, but... I wouldn't be opposed to having it be a direct sequel to the 2009 movie as well, Jordan. I mean, I agree. I mean, it had that great tease of the end with her fighting Cheetah and to kind of get that fight maybe at the beginning and then it goes into another story would be pretty cool. And yeah, you make an interesting point about the Batman being kind of the continuity it's set for Hush. I honestly can't see them doing that, but I get where you're coming from as far as, you know, respecting that series and the milestones it has like the animated series and brave and the bold got so i think that's something they probably should do down the road but i don't know if, if hush is the right one to do that even though it was their plan to do an adaption of it for the sequel to the dracula movie but i just can't see him doing that for here but i do hope eventually you get to see <laughs> your favorite animated series of batman revisited again because i definitely even though i haven't seen every episode i know it has a big fan base and it probably should have a, you know, at least a not a full blown like re-series revamp, but just a continuation for the fans. I think would be nice, like you said. But he continues saying the Titans trailer blew me away. It primarily focuses on Robin and Raven, and it looks like they're going to be the first Titans to meet up before Beast Boy and Starfire join in on the fun. I'm loving Brenton Thrice as, or I'm loving Brenton Thrice and Tegan Croft in their respective roles so far. I dig that they're playing up the horror elements of Raven. The part of the trailer showing Haley Circus gave me chills. The action looks incredible as well. I've been in awe of the Robin suit ever since the first photo we got, and now I love it even more seeing it in action. I love that they're exploring Robin's very soon or they're exploring Robin very soon after his falling out with Batman. Well I love Greg Wiseman's Earth 16 take on the relationship where Dick's transition into Nightwing is an amicable amicable one. I also love when Bruce and Dick do have a rough falling out. It made for one of my favorite episodes of the new Batman Adventures, Old Wounds. I love the music in the trailer too. This trailer got me even more hyped for the show, which I was already extremely hyped for. And I'm just so pumped for the DC Universe to finally launch. I signed up for a full year already, plus three extra months, and I can't wait. Well, glad to hear you enjoyed the trailer, Jordan, I know, like we said in the last episode, it was a pretty mixed reaction to it, but I'm good to hear some excitement for it. 
And as you're mentioning the DC Universe uh, app that's coming out, of course, which the series is going to debut on, I got to rant about something real quick. <laughs> I sent the tweet out uh, through you know our Batfans Twitter and my own personal account how there was a great look at how the app is going to work and operate from uh, Joe Blow movie trailers. They were got to have early access to it. They got to go, I guess, to one of the DC offices, and there was a representative there showing them how it works. And it looks great. The app looks cool, the, how it's laid out, and everything is going to be featured on there. It all looks great. But here's the thing that got me super disappointed. Um, one of the guys at Joe Blow asked them, you know, the different systems it's going to be launching for. And he goes, of course, you know, iPads, iPhones, Androids, handheld devices, and then on Roku's, Apple TV, the, Amazon, the Fire. Is it Amazon does the Fire? I, I forget. But <laughs> what yeah. was all that? Yeah, the Fire Stick, yeah. Okay, so it's all going to be available there. But then he asked them, he asked the DC rep, what about video game consoles, Xbox and PS4? He goes, um, not at launch. We're going to be looking at to what fans are want to see in the future. When I heard that, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me because that's where I watch all my video app stuff. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, it's all through either the Xbox or the PlayStation. And the fact that the DC Universe app is not launching on that, is very very disappointing to the point where like I don't know if I should subscribe should subscribe to it right away because I want to watch all that stuff on my TV and yeah it's going to be cool to have on my iPad and stuff but when I watch a new series like Titans or want to revisit an old show or movies I want to see it on the TV first and foremost and the fact that I won't be able to since it's not going to launch on the Xbox or PS4 then I might as well just wait so that was a real bummer to hear because I was looking forward to it, getting it and subscribing to it at launch. And I still might. I got to think about it, how much maybe I'll watch on the iPad or whatnot. But if but I'm really seriously considering about waiting because I just think it's a shame and they're really limiting the amount of subscribers they can get if they were putting it on the Xbox and PS4 at launch. So that was really disappointing to hear. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you know me. Uh- I'm gonna wait for yeah. your opinion. So if you're not gonna try <laughs> and it might it, be a little longer day. <laughs> yeah. If you're not gonna try it then I don't know. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. Why would they do that? Why would they not put it on video game consoles that they know so many people have access to? It's just maybe it's a technology thing. They don't know how, quite how to do it. It, it. it could be a thing that they roll out later. Yeah, they you said know? like I said, they're gonna look into yeah. it and I Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm pretty confident they will eventually be on there, but how long is that going to take? It's just don't want to wait too long for it. It's just, right. Like I said, they're limiting the amount of subscribers I think they should have. And you're right. Maybe it is a technical issue that's preventing it from launching right away. But I didn't get that impression when the DC rep was talking about it. It mainly said how they're waiting for feedback from uh, different uh, users or I guess people who are holding off on subscribing to it wonder where it could be best suited for them. And I just think that's something they should realize right away that the video game console systems are a big portion of, I think they're talking audiences have access to, which would be perfect for the DC universe app. So, okay. Rant over, <laughs> it was, you know, disappointing to hear and hopefully it's sooner rather than later that I'll be able to experience these new shows and past stuff that I want to on the app on my TV. But Jordan continues saying, another show to look forward to a little bit later on after the DC Universe streaming service launches is Young Justice Outsiders. 
you know, oh, it better be on an Xbox or PS4 system for Young Justice. That's all I'll say <laughs> because that's coming out later, I believe in 2019, kind of in the beginning. So, man, it better be up by then. <laughs> but he goes, boy, did it feel good to see new footage from Young Justice again, Young Justice again for the first time in five years. The first portion of the trailer is mostly older uh, Spitfire stuff, and it hit me hard right in the feels. In terms of the new stuff, wow. The first scene of the new footage with Artemis reminds me a lot of the scene from Justice League where Lois is in bed reminiscing about Superman. It looks like we may be getting Young Justice's take on the Judas contract soon with Tara Markov being introduced. And I'm so eager to see what the Young Justice writers will do with that iconic story. I was already very intrigued by the metahuman trafficking storyline in season three. And based on the trailer, it looks like the show will indeed be doing some very interesting stuff with that. It seems as though there will be a lot of focus on New God stuff in Season 3 as well, which is awesome, as we're finally getting the tease from the end of Season 2 paid off. The other highlight for me is the snippet we get of that Batman versus Bane fight, because Batman taking on Bane is always badtastic. The Shazam trailer just makes me howl with laughter. It's hilarious, and it's charming. My favorite stuff are definitely the interactions between Shazam and Freddy. I think the scenes between them are going to be the highlights of the film. Zachary Levi seems to just be killing it portraying a kid in an adult's body. I'm so impressed with his performance so far. I think that it's going to be very easy to connect with Freddy, given that he's a huge DC fan just like we are. I also love how we see Billy's heroic values even before he gets his powers when he saves Freddy. I think this film is going to be an absolute blast. The Aquaman trailer is everything I could have hoped for. It was totally worth the long wait it's been to finally see our first trailer for the movie. Wow. First off, do not mess with Aquaman in an aquarium. Atlantis looks so vibrant. It reminds me of the look of Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets, but underwater. Did you ever see that movie, Dane? No, I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who, who saw that movie? Uh, I, I did, actually. You did? <laughs> yeah. You, you went to the theater? Oh, no. Uh, my brother actually got it on Blu-ray. So I think he got a like, cheaper song. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to check out. Because it did look pretty interesting visually. It was something I wanted to check out. So. What's it called? Valerian and uh, Valerian. the City of a Thousand Planets. It's kind of based off an old, I don't know how old it is, but it's based off a manga, I believe. Really? Yeah. But oh. the movie, visually, it looked great, but eh, story-wise, not, not too, too much. much. <laughs> yeah. It's not horrible, but it went on a little too long. There was like a subplot kind of in the middle there that I thought wasn't that great there is a good story in there but i think it kind of takes a little bit for it to get going and resolved so yeah yeah not great but i understand what you're saying here jordan how atlantis does kind of have that feel of how vibrant it looks so because visually valerian looked really really cool uh he continues saying the action looks absolutely breathtaking the part where the crowd reacts to aquaman and ocean master's fight reminds me of the prisoners in the pit in the dark knight rises when bruce successfully makes the climb and pretty much any time something reminds me of The Dark Knight Rises, my favorite live-action film of all time, it's a good thing. I continue to love Jason Momoa as Aquaman and Amber Heard as Mera. My big question now is whose motivational speeches slash pep talks are worse, Rick Flagg's or Mera's? The little bit we get of the trench looks terrifying. As someone who is terrified of the ocean, I think the horror elements of this movie are really going to play well for me. Finally, Black Manta. He looks incredible. The shot of Aquaman jumping away from his eye beams is just extraordinary. This trailer, this trailer is simply outrageous. 
I mean, Aquaman has to say outrageous at some point in the movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Brave of the Bold has made that his catchphrase. It just, he just has to at some point. But. Also, he has to woohoo. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah, man. An outrageous after a woohoo would be perfect, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking at this uh, Valerian. Uh, it's, uh, it seems like the, the, the critics had the same uh, opinion that, that you did. Uh, they criticized the plot, but the they like the visual style of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's from the same director who did the Fifth Element, Luke Benson. Besson, yeah, Luke yeah. Besson, yeah. It uh, it's considered a box office disappointment. Yeah, I didn't do that great. Let me see. Let me see the numbers. Uh, yeah, it looked like it was expensive too, <laughs> with all the effects they had in it. Uh, one seventy-seven, two hundred five to two hundred five million. And it only grossed two hundred twenty five point nine million. So, yeah, not a huge, yeah, success. Not, <laughs> not a big, big, huge thing. So, I don't think it's going to get a sequel, but you never know, right? That is true, yeah. <laughs> but I probably wouldn't bet on it. Ethan Sorry Hawk for those who were fans it. on it, though. But <laughs> I wouldn't Hawk count on a sequel. Man, see, I don't remember who he played. <laughs> Jolly the pimp. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> Clive Owen was in it. Aaron Fillet. Fillet. Yeah, yeah, you could probably name off a few names. I'm not going to ring a bell besides the main stars. <laughs> right, right. Dane DeHaan and Claire. Uh, what's her last name? De- Enchantress Del- from Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, Delavine. Delavine. Yeah. yeah, I think it's Delavine. Yeah. But, yeah, so I don't think we're – there's too much – I don't think we're doing a Valerian minute-by-minute commentary yeah. anytime soon. I'll just say that. <laughs> Though it would be an interesting way for you to see the movie for the first time, Dane, if it's just by minute-by-minute. Yeah, minute. <laughs> oh, and John Goodman was in there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. See, like, these actors in here, but kind of small roles. Yeah. But Jordan continues saying, the trailers didn't stop after San Diego Comic-Con, though. We just got the trailer for Constantine City of Demons, the movie, and it looks awesome. Some of it's old footage from the first season, which premiered on CWC, but a lot of it's new footage. I love the first season, and I'm so excited to see all the additional footage in this movie. It looks pretty terrifying, and I think the music used in the trailer just amplifies the horror. I just love Matt Ryan as Constantine so much, and I'm so happy how much we've gotten of him in the role after the premature cancellation of his live-action series. While this film isn't technically in the DCU AOM line, it's, it could technically be counted as an entry in the DCU AOM New 52-inspired universe, as that's the continuity in which it's set. The Constantine we've seen in this one is the one from Justice League Dark rather than from the Arrowverse. I'm so excited about Joker. First off, I love the official title. Ever since the film first was reported, I've been hoping it would be or take inspiration from Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo's Joker graphic novel. The film sharing a title with said graphic novel gives me even more hope that some inspiration will be taken from that. I'm very happy with all the names involved in this movie, and I am so intrigued by what we could see. Personally, I think the idea of the Joker being the illegitimate son of Thomas Wayne could be fascinating. I'm typically very open to different takes on the Joker's origin, and I'd be all for seeing that. I would create, or it would create an interesting dynamic with the characters that we've never seen before. 
One of the coolest things about this movie for me personally is simply the release date, though. October 4th is the day after my birthday, which means that the Thursday night previous oh, really? Greetings... <laughs> His birthday is October 3rd? Mine is October yeah. 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> A day apart, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Except Jordan is like 10 years younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna, you're still going to be a lot much older than him, no matter yeah, how yeah. serious these are. <laughs> he's... I'm going to be in my 90s and he's going to be still be in his 30s. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like. Uh, that means I'm going to be in my mid-90s. <laughs> Close to 100. <laughs> uh, yeah, getting old stings. Yeah. He goes, uh, DC film has never hit theaters on my birthday before, so this is so exciting for me. The closest I've ever gotten is actually DC Superhero Girls Legends of Atlantis, which releases on home media this year, the day before my birthday. I'm so happy that a Batwoman TV series is in development. I can't wait to see her in this year's big Arrowverse crossover. And it's just even more exciting that we'll be getting to see a whole show focused on her following that. One thing that really has me pubbed is Caroline Dyer's, or Dries, or I'm sure I'm butchering her last name, <laughs> Caroline Dries, or Dries. See, to me, it looks like Freeze, kind of Mr. Freeze, Victor Freeze looks, just with a D, so I'll just call it Caroline Dries. It's probably not that, Tim. Yeah, I know, but hey, we're doing a Batman podcast, so I'll compare it to that. <laughs> but I apologize anyway for butchering the last name. Uh, she wrote a ton of super Smallville episodes, and I'm eager to see her return to the DC universe with Batwoman. Today, as of my writing this, we just found out who's been cast as Batwoman too, Ruby Rose. I've never seen her in anything, but I likely will soon, because I'm very eagerly anticipating the Meg, which she is in. Going back to how terrified I, am, terrified I am of the ocean, much like the parts of, a, of Aquaman involving the trench, that movie will likely frighten me to no end. So I, I can't comment on any of Rhodes' previous work yet, but I can't wait to see what she brings to the role of Batwoman. I don't know, but after reading this, Jordan, I got to ask, you got a fear of the ocean, but yet you're still seeing all these movies, <laughs> like Aquaman, and then now with the Meg, which I know is kind of being played for kind of a comedy slash horror type movie but still for the scene a big shark that size uh i hope you, you make it okay during those movies if you're afraid of the ocean but <laughs> give you props for still going to see those type of movies though you're conquering your fear so he hasn't seen jaws then uh, uh if you're gonna see the meg in aquaman you gotta see jaws i mean that's yeah. the ultimate fear of the ocean movie you gotta conquer <laughs> you can get through jaws you'll be quite okay with anything else i think uh, he continues saying, in the time since my last email, three new DC animated films have released. I'll keep my thoughts on each of them spoiler-free, but I thought I'd share my opinion on them. First up was The Death of Superman, and that is my favorite out of the three. In fact, it just might be my favorite solo Superman animated movie to date. The most oppressive thing about it is how it showcases what Superman means to the world. It hits every emotional beat just right and had me in tears multiple times each time I watched it. The voice cast is astounding, and it features some of the best animated action I have ever seen. It's phenomenal. Just two days after the death of Superman released digitally, Teen Titans or Teen Titans Go to the Movies hit theaters, which I believe marks the first time in history that two DC films have released in the same week. What an awesome week that was. And for me, it was even cooler because I also got to see Batman 89 on the big screen for the first time at my local theater that week, which was truly a magical experience. Ah, glad you got to experience that too, Jordan. As I said on 
or episodes earlier in the year, I got to do the same seeing it for the first time. And it was just so, so cool. So <laughs> really glad you got to experience that too. But anyway, he goes, I thought the Teen Titans go to the movies was hilarious. There are several moments that had been howling with laughter. The plot is very clear. And just like the TV show, it is filled with and are filled to the brim with DC Easter eggs. I love the movie as a whole, but the mid credit scene alone is worth the price of admission. I'm totally serious. So, yeah, I pretty much had no desire to see Teen Titans go to the movies. I haven't really seen Teen Titans go. But, man, from what I'm hearing about the movie, I probably have to see this movie. <laughs> Maybe if I'm not able to see it in theaters, definitely when it comes out for a home release because I've heard nothing but great things about it. Even from those who are not necessarily fans of the show, they just said it's just a great movie that Jordan alluded to that has tons of Easter eggs of the DC universe and movies in general kind of pokes fun at itself and other things. I kind of even heard it's kind of like the very lighter version of Deadpool <laughs> kind of that humor as far as poking fun, but of course not as crude and vulgar <laughs> as Deadpool is, but I just heard a lot of great things about it. So I'd probably have to check it out, but I do know the end credit scene that or mid credit scene that Jordan referred to here. And yeah, I would agree with that. So I guess we won't go into spoilers on it here, but in case those are in my case who are going to wait to see the movie when it comes out on home release, I think that'd be a nice surprise. So, but I totally know what you're saying, Jordan. And yes, it is awesome. But he continues saying that the next week after Lego DC superheroes, Aquaman Rage of Atlantis completed the trifecta of DC films. Atlantis looks awesome in Lego form. The stuff with Atrocitus is excellent, and the best part about him is that Jonathan Adams is reprising his role from Green Lantern, the animated series. That is cool. I didn't know that. And he did a great voice for Atrocitus in the animated series. I mean, that's the voice I hear whenever Atrocitus pops up in comics, which is really, really good. So that's cool. We got another crack at playing him again. Part of the film is an undersea adventure, and another part is a space adventure with a scene that reminds me quite a bit of a scene from my favorite Justice League episode, Comfort and Joy. There's quite a bit of Bat representation in this movie, too, which I love, as not only is Batman featured heavily, but Batgirl and Robin get some fun stuff to do also. It is quite funny that over the course of one week, Scott uh, Menville starred as Dick in one film and Damien in another. My Parents' Basement does indeed have a subtitle, Your Friendly Neighborhood Comic Bar, which I find very clever. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> we said how great My Parents' Basement name was, but... That subtitle there, Your Friendly Neighborhood Comic Book Bar, elevates it even more. Yeah. <laughs> and since my last email, I attended Atlanta Comic Con. This was its first year, and it was a blast. The biggest con here in Atlanta is Dragon Con, which is now less than a month away. And this was a smaller con that was the perfect appetizer for Dragon Con. One thing that I definitely want to bring up about it ties with some of your discussion about Batman 50 from last episode. I met Ty Templeton at Atlanta, at Atlanta Comic Con, and he signed his page from issue 50. We then proceeded to chat about Batman for about two hours. It was an incredible experience getting to talk for that long with someone who's been writing and drawing the character for over 25 years. I actually even got him to confirm a theory I had about his page from Batman 50. His page is a new Batman adventure style, but Catwoman's suit is slightly different from her new or from the new Batman Adventures design. Instead of her eyes being covered and her mouth exposed, her mouth is covered and her eyes are exposed on that page. I theorize that this is because Bruce's love letter is in the issue, makes a point to call or makes a point that all of Catwoman's suits leave her eyes visible. This is true only with her canical suits, though. 
which her new The Batman Adventure suit is not. So my theory was that it was changed for that page to match up with the love letter. Ty confirmed to me that that is indeed the case. He originally sent the page with Catwoman in her new The Batman Adventure suit as it's supposed to look, but he was asked uh, to alter it to conform to the love letter in Batman 50. Anyway, I was honestly pretty proud of myself for figuring that out correctly, and it was awesome to hear Ty explain what happened there. There are a lot of other highlights of the con for me as well. I bought a Gotham Bat Cat magnet, which features the line, Did you ever kiss a girl? That Selena Kyle asked Bruce in the Gotham episode, Harvey Dent, which I absolutely adore. I saw a bunch of awesome cosplayers. I attended a panel on the psychology of Batman's Rose Gallery, which was fascinating. I saw a bunch of incredible fan films. My favorites were Black Lightning, Tobias' Revenge, or Tobias' Revenge, it's a fan film, so it doesn't count as the first official time, of course, but it's the first time I've ever seen Static in live action. Batman Patient Zero is similar to the Smallville episode Labyrinth, but with Batman instead of Superman. And the one that knocked my socks off in a way that no other fan film ever has, Injustice for All. Ever since I saw this fan film, I've been sending the links to so many people because it is truly magnificent. The acting is remarkable, and the production value is like a TV quality. It essentially acts as a prequel to Injustice, and it features some of the most horrifying stuff involving the Joker and Harley that I have ever seen. It gives a definitive origin for the Joker that I find brilliant and extremely frightening. And some of the stuff Joker does in this fan film is so deplorable as anything I've ever seen him do. On the final day of the con, I went to a panel discussing the way Krypton and Kryptonian culture are portrayed on both Supergirl and Krypton, which was hosted by my good bat fan Rebecca Johnson from Supergirl Radio, along with Michael Bailey from Superman Homepage. I just had a fantastic time at the con, and I hope to go back for many more if, for many more years to come. Did he post pictures on Instagram? Um, yeah, he did post it some. Okay. I got to check those out. You see, I, I totally forget about Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I'm looking at my phone right now, and it's right next to the Twitter app. So, yeah, so it's not buried. There's no yeah. excuse there. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I'm, I'll, I'll, you can keep reading his email, and I'm going to look up his pictures. His, okay, yeah. try to find some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so first off, I think it's cool that, you know, got another con to go to that's logo for you, Jordan. But this one's on, like, really cool. I just think it's awesome that you got to spend two hours to a comic book creator about, you know, an issue that you absolutely love. I mean, that doesn't happen all the time. So I think that had to be an awesome experience. So that was really cool. And yeah, you sent us the link to that um, Injustice for All fan film. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but hearing you rave about it and how good it is, I'm definitely going to have to check it out soon. So thanks for sending the link. Okay, so I'm looking at his Instagram, and there's the Desert Batman and Nightwing and Wonder Woman and a Deadpool crossing guard. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if I noticed that one, but that yes. wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. It's like a, or, sorry, uh, yeah, is that Deadpool? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds yeah. all right. Deadpool being a crossing guard. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably the case. <laughs> but Jordan continues saying, on to Batman 51 and 52. Spoilers, I love both these issues. What I love most about them, even though it breaks my Bat-Cat heart, is how they reinforce that Batman does indeed or does need Catwoman, and that he's a better Batman with her. As we know, Holly manipulated Catwoman into thinking, into thinking otherwise in Batman 50, 
and I love how this story is reinforcing just how wrong Holly's notion is. Batman has completely lost his way without Catwoman, and it has perhaps resulted in an innocent man, at least when it comes to the crime in question, at risk of being convicted. I love how Batman 52, or or how, let me start that again. I love how in Batman 52, there's even a very fitting nod to Batman Annual number two, with an image of Batman and Catwoman from the masterpiece being framed in the jury room. I've always, I'm always down for a Mr. Freeze story, as he's one of my favorite villains, so I'm happy that he's the villain of this story. This Cold Days arc is very unique, as it has put Bruce in a situation that I can't recall ever seeing him in before. Tom King does, does such an incredible job portraying the tension in the jury room, and it's very exciting. I also love how in issue 51, there's a moment that reminded me of Nightfall, where Gordon is able to tell that it isn't Bruce in the bat suit. This arc has been fantastic so far, and I can't wait to see how things wrap up in issue 53. To answer your question, I've unfortunately been locked out of Twitter for over two months now. It's due to a technical error. I've been making some headway with Twitter support who have finally confirmed with me that they will indeed be able to unlock my account, but they haven't said what or haven't said when yet. So for now, I'm off Twitter, but hopefully I'll be back on soon. What happened? Yeah, that really stinks. If it's a technical error on their end, they should you know, be able to reinstate or unlock your account right away, I would hope. But yeah. And I'd go crazy if I was locked out for too much. <laughs> but yeah, I can understand not wanting to create a new account either if you built up, you know, your followers for the original one and you want that to be, you know, unlocked. So yeah. Hopefully it won't be too much longer, Jordan. Like we said, we've been seeing you on there. But he goes on to conclude his email with a couple of questions as always. Uh, first off, he goes, with the first new footage from Young Justice in five years having just dropped, what are your top five favorite episodes from the first two seasons of the show? Mine are, number five, Misplaced. The plot is just a blast, and Zatanna's sacrifice hits me so hard every time. Number four, Homefront. I love getting to see the non-superpowered team members, Robin and Artemis, get to shine. Number three, Performance. One line says it all. Some things never change, like the sight of a Grayson on a trapeze. Number two, cold-hearted. This episode marks a big shift for Kid Flash on the show. Has a lot of great comedic, comedic moments with him, and I love the snowy setting of it. And number one, secrets. It's a really fun Halloween episode that also tells a very dark story. I know all of my top five episodes are from season one, but I want to clarify that I absolutely love season two as well. It just so happens that all five of my favorite episodes are from season one. Yeah, so this is was kind of hard for me Jordan, because as much as I love Young Justice when it, when it aired, I haven't really had a chance to revisit it and do a rewatch of it again. So for most of these episodes, I've only seen once. And given, as you said, it's been five years, kind of hard to remember all of them or specific ones. But I remember moments from most of them. But So I might not have five, but the ones that stood out to me as being some of my favorites and memorable ones. Um, first off, I'd probably go fail safe because that was one I remember where there was like this test scenario that the members of the team were put under like in case the justice league were all taken down by an alien invasion it's kind of like a simulated test but it was through the martian manhunter and uh, miss martian doing their um, you know doing a, a mental state where they're in this alternate world type dream sequence where the justice league gets taken out and things go wrong and the test becomes real for them before what they knew it was you know it was a test but then later on something happens where miss Mar- miss martian uses her telepathic powers to make it feel like they are really experiencing that. So I remember that being a really cool one. 
And then also I agree with you. Performance is another one I really loved. Uh, going back to Haley Circus and seeing uh, Dick Grayson's roots is always something that's cool when, it, when it's explored. So I love that one. And even season two, again, moments stuck out for me in that season more so than episodes just because it was a great season with some great story arcs. But ones that stick out to me, of course, the finale, that tease we left with Dark Side, I mean, doesn't get much of a bigger tease than that. And then also stuff with Aqualad and how he was kind of being a double agent. But I really like the story idea of him kind of leaving the team, feeling betrayed and being their enemy now. That made for some very, you know, great uh, dynamics between the characters when he would see his old team members again before it was revealed. He was just, you know, being a double agent. So that stuff was cool. But probably my uh, I wouldn't say probably I'd say definitely because this episode I loved right away. It was actually the season one finale, uh, Old Acquaintances, where you got members of the Young Justice team fighting the Justice League, like Robin fighting Batman and Green Lantern, Superboy and Superman. That stuff was just a bunch of DC geek out moments, <laughs> seeing all these characters kind of fighting against each other. It's just a great, you know, epic way to end what was a really good first season. So those are probably my standout episodes. Again, like I said, it's kind of hard to pinpoint number of episodes because I just haven't seen them in a while. And I got to do a rewatch before season three starts. So that's my plan right now. <laughs> But a second question is, since Mr. Freeze is the villain at the forefront of King's current Cold Days arc, I'm curious how you would rank the four Mr. Freeze episodes in the DCAU, since that's where he became the extremely tragic villain he's been best known as today. My ranking is number four, Deep Freeze. I love this episode, but one of them has to be last. Number three, Meltdown. I love seeing Mr. Freeze try to find redemption despite the tragic end and how we see Terry have the faith in people that Bruce once had, but has lost a bit by this point. Number two, cold comfort. I love how it adds another extremely tragic element to Mr. Freeze's story and how being part of the new Batman adventure is it features the Bat family heavily and the improved animation. Number one, Heart of Ice. Mr. Freeze's tragic origin that Paul Dini came up is a masterpiece and makes me cry every time. Yeah, this one, I'm pretty much in agreement with you, Jordan. I'm just going to flip-flop Cold Comfort and Meltdown because I love Meltdown. That's definitely my second favorite after Heart of Ice. I mean, as you said, just seeing Mr. Freeze brought back, but him trying to find redemption. But in typical Mr. Freeze fashion, it's, you know, it comes to a tragic end as his final story unfolds here. So it was just a great, great episode. So, yeah. So number four, Deep Freeze for me. Number three, Cold Comfort. Number two, Meltdown. And then number one, of course, Heart of Ice. How about you, Dan? Well, how would you rank the Mr. Freeze episodes? I haven't seen Deep Freeze, so I'm not sure about that one. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Heart of Ice is definitely number one. Number two. Um, yeah, I'll just agree with you, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the correct way, Dan. <laughs> All those fails disagree with me. Uh, but... Uh, that's it for Jordan. He just concludes it saying Bat Cat Forever from the first kiss to the last. And as always, Jordan, thank you for the email and good to hear your thoughts on all the stuff that went down at Comic-Con with all the trailers and hearing your experience at Atlantic Comic-Con. Good stuff. So look forward to your next email. And with that, that can go ahead and take us to our comic book review. And for this episode, it's going to be Batman 52, as Jordan alluded to in his email there. But will I agree with him? <laughs> we'll find out. And as always, spoilers are going to be uh, in this 
portion of the episode for Batman number 52. So if you haven't read it yet, might want to hold off, read it, come back, and then hear what I have to say about it. And the rating scale, what should it be for this one, Dane? Uh, hmm. Something with the Foo Fighters, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number of Foo Fighter songs that Dane wishes, wishes was more raw. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. So Batman number 52. Again, as I said, when I reviewed number 51, and as Jordan alluded to in this email, just such a unique concept that I'm just really enjoying of Bruce Wayne being part of a jury, you know, trying to you know, have the fate of Mr. Freeze is in his hands. And he's going against the majority of the other jurors who are ready to have him be guilty and Bruce didn't go along with it when they were voting in the last issue. And that's where it ended. And that's where this issue picks up on. And this issue probably maybe even better than the last one. Cause it just brings up some great things about Bruce and Batman that I thought Tom King explored really well here. And it begins with the jurors kind of <laughs> saying, you know, he's Mr. Freeze. Like he's like all these bad, horrible things he did. These poor women that he killed, you know, of course he's guilty, but Bruce is the only one saying, you know, there's just not enough, you know, facts to support his, you know, claims or support the fact that everyone thinks he's guilty and even the fact that he himself confessed that he did it. And we all know why, because Bruce was there <laughs> to bring in Mr. Freeze as Batman. So the issue highlights, you know, three points of the evidence being about being brought about for the case against Mr. Freeze. Um, the fact that the autopsy. Uh, the police report initially didn't show, you know, the cold being used uh, against the or the temperature for the women's brain being brought down, linking to Mr. Freeze that that was discovered by Batman and not the police force. Then the fact that Mr. Freeze was already in his suit when Batman came to confront him, even though he was under house arrest and shouldn't be uh, in, in that suit. But uh, the big thing that stood out to me in this issue, though, is just, you know, the fact that Bruce Wayne right here is just kind of feeling a little bit of regret as his actions, or I shouldn't say a little bit, he is regretting his actions of Batman, but just how he doesn't want to hear how perfect Batman is because there's a great moment in the issue where someone, one of the other members of the jurors is saying, you know, Batman's just better than the police department. That's why he found the evidence of, you know, the temperature drop in these women's and their autopsy that the police did it. And Batman just goes, you know what, that's not, it's an explanation that Batman saw and Gordon's people didn't, but your only explanation is Batman is better. Why? Why did Gordon miss it? And why did Batman cash it? And he just slams his hand on the, on the table. And you're just getting that sense that he's just in conflict with himself here. It is part about Batman and how he acted during this moment and just kind of, you know, how. He's in a state of mind right now where it's not really the best place for him. After the events of Batman 50 and Catwoman leaving him, he doesn't, I think, want to necessarily say that. But, you know, it's all right laid out <laughs> for those of us who have been reading the story. As there is a moment in the issue where he's talking to Alfred through his intercom before he goes to take on Mr. Freeze. He, Alfred just calls to him, sir, given your recent disappointment, perhaps you might want to. And Batman just goes, thank you, Alfred, but I'm fine. I'll find Freeze and I'll come home. So everyone sees that Dick called him in the last issue, seeing how he's doing, Alfred is, but Bruce just doesn't want to hear it right now. As, as far as when he's Batman, he just goes to extreme measures to bring Mr. Freeze in. And there's just another great moment here, at, kind of at the end of the issue, because 
uh, they go on to the second point as far as freeze and the evidence of him being you know all suited up ready for batman and bruce makes the point to the other jurors goes well it's because you know he was tipped off by someone who told him batman was coming and someone goes well if he was an innocent man he just would have stayed put and he wouldn't have to worry about you know he he shouldn't have run if he was innocent he wouldn't have run but then bruce kind of explains to him have you ever had a conversation batman does with batman does he ever just go to a criminal and just talk to him he goes no that that's not batman that's not how he knows batman to be they've had plenty of encounters before and plenty of fights and beatings that mr freeze experienced of course he's just not going to sit around and wait for batman to show up he's gonna you know suit up and be prepared for batman and there's this nice page of different instances of batman taking on mr freeze over the years and the different costumes he's had so which was cool but um, the point that really stood out to me and probably my favorite point of this or story aspect of the issue is when you just really see the hurt that bruce wayne has here and he goes on to say why you know mr freeze would do this and like say that he was guilty because he was scared of what batman was going to do with him but in the end bruce is telling them this reason for a totally different (laughs) i think point of view from where he's coming from and how he feels as batman and the hurt he feels as Catwoman leaving him because he goes on to tell the story of, you know, losing his parents. I just love how he kind of hesitates before he can say that. He just, he just goes, ladies and gentlemen, when I, I like when I was 10 years old, I lost my mother and father, just that hesitation of not wanting to tell that story. But as he's telling it, he just goes on to have this great monologue there where he goes, you know, as I watched, he ran and I went down on my knees, I screamed. And then there's a panel of Batman just screaming at Mr. Freeze. And he just says that I was so scared. He ran and he was gone. Uh, they took me away. I got older. I was tried and tested. And he goes on to say, I pretty much had a good life. But here's the important part here. He goes, and then when something happens, you lose something or someone. Or he, again, he hesitates again, <laughs> having trouble accepting the fact that Selena left him. He goes, there's if that pain is there again. It's there again. My mother's tangled pearls. My father yelling. I'm 10 on my own. I'm on my knees. I'm scared out of my mind. And I feel what I say and do. I become something and I do things. I'm, he says, I am not, I am myself, but not what I want to be or what I should be. And again, he's kind of comparing this to showing why Mr. Freeze would confess when he was scared. But this is all really about him acting this way as Batman because he's feeling that same hurt he felt when his parents were killed with selena leaving him losing the love of his life and i just love how that's what's you know affecting bruce here that pain like that that he's never felt that as much pain as he did when his parents killed maybe not it's quite on that level obviously but it's probably the most pain he felt since his parents were killed when selena left him and it's making him as he said here do things that you know or be someone that he knows he should not be so I just love that parallel and just that conflict that Bruce is having in this issue when it comes to how he's acting as Batman. And he's telling people, (laughs) these jurors, all about that, kind of letting it out. But, of course, they're not putting two and two together. And that's the way he wants it, of course. But it's just great to see Bruce kind of analyze himself like that and to see what he's going through here. Tom King did a good job of showing that in this issue. And then it kind of ends with, Another one of the jurors talking about this. They're all for Batman. All these people are pro Batman. One lady saying he saved, he saved her on an occasion, and they're saying, you know, 
you just want us to show us that Batman is wrong. He's bad. He does this horrible thing. He's out of control. And then she goes, you know, you want to prove that, Mr. Wayne. The only way we can believe you is if you have proof that Batman is all those things. Do you have proof? And the last bit of dialogue is Bruce just saying, yeah, I can prove it. And it just says to be continued. So how is Bruce going to prove that? I don't think he's going to necessarily say that, you know, he's Batman to all these random jurors here. But he'll do something that I'm sure will make him, I guess, cleanse his soul in a way for acting the way he did. And just, yeah, just can't wait to see how it all wraps up. Tom King's created a very intriguing story here. And not only with Bruce as a member of the jury and deciding Mr. Free's fate here, but just what he's going through and how he's acting as Batman and just that pain and hurt he's feeling right now because of the loss of Catwoman. So, yeah, another really solid issue. I'm going to give this one four and a half out of five songs of, of the Foo Fighters that Dane was wishes was more raw. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a good song. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. And as always, I'll go ahead and throw it to Dane for the outro. All right, just go to the BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, the show's Twitter handle is at Batfans Podcast, and you can email the show at BatfansLPants at gmail.com. Oh, I forgot our Twitter handle. handles. Um, Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG311, and <laughs> my Twitter handle is at DaneSaysBanana. So with that, we say the end of every single show again. We love each and every one of you with all of our bat and food hearts. <laughs> food hearts. <laughs> I like that. <laughs>